free dropped here, no doubt. Yeah, free drop. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. It made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Hello, folks, and welcome to the week before Masters Week. Um, by the time you listen to this, it might be a little bit closer to Masters Week, but I am sitting here talking to my podcast co-host, Sean Zock. My name is Dylan DeChair. Sean, it's nice to be here with you. I'm sitting on the brink of three very big weeks, back to back to back, and uh, it's an honor to kind of be here with you before I embark. Mm, yeah, you got a lot of travel going on in your world, um, which is a, a good problem to have, um, mainly because we're going to Augusta. We will arrive on Monday, and hopefully you'll be listening to this by then, but what we're going to do today is basically tell you everything you need to know, everything you need to care about during Masters Week. Um, I think this could be the most consequential Masters in my career, which is weird. Um, we were there in 2019 when Tiger won. That was pretty consequential. You're not topping that one. No, I think you are. I think year. you can. Mm. So for the purpose of the history of the game, that one's hard to top. For the purpose of the governance of the game this one has like i don't i don't know if there's ever been one where there were more question marks we knew tiger was probably going to play well that week uh especially through two rounds we're like holy cow this dude's smiling when he leaves uh the golf course on friday afternoon like look out um but this week i don't know i've listed five topics dylan that i think we kind of need to run through um and kind of predict how it will play out and kind of predict, you know, why, why there are talking points and who will say what. But let's start with number five. Um, I've listed the... Th- All right, yeah, wait, just to give people a heads up, we're going to run through these. We're going to give you some Fuego picks at the end. We're going to draft to our, who are best, I guess our best bets, mostly just as a way to talk about these guys. Yeah. But uh, we're not promising to be good at these picks, but we will promise to do our best. Yes, as always. First five biggest storylines. <laughs> um, Sean, what's number five? I think the 13th hole is the biggest, the fifth biggest storyline. Um, the, the 13th hole, for people who haven't haven't been following the, the, the news, is going to be longer. It is how much longer? Like 50 yards? 35, 35 yards, okay, thir- I believe. 35 yards longer. Um it is now going to be a hole that probably requires um, maybe three shots, at least two very good shots, and it will require driver off the tee, which is kind of the important part here because the the game has gotten to a point where Bubba Watson, Rory McIlroy, Scotty Scheffler, he did it. He hit three wood every round last year. These guys are not hitting driver, and it's a par five, and the kind of hole – idea is that hey if you want to get close in two you should be able to hit a you should have to hit a driver on a par five and they were just rope hooking three woods around the corner and i mean when tiger won in 2019 we just talked about it pretty sure he went three wood eight iron is that right no a driver but then he hit yeah some sort of mid iron in okay but yeah he he hit he hit driver up into the trees and hit driver this was the this was the debated point whether it hit a tree or not bamberger was always convinced that it hit a tree i am still not convinced that it hit a tree um 
Tiger insists it did not hit a tree. Yeah. So it's just like one of these mysteries that I don't know how we're going to ever resolve it. But <laughs> Well, we'll have to ask the tree one of these years. Uh, but the point is, this hole will play a lot different. And I think you're going to end up seeing the hole maybe be less exciting. That might be the conclusion here, is that rather than these guys kind of going for it from 200 210 yards hanging lie they might just take a 90 yard wedge shot from a much flatter lie uh into a green with some slope put some spin on it and try to work it back to the hole i think you see that shot a lot more from 13 than we have the last few years uh and i just want to know if that's okay is that going to be good or bad i think it's great i think it's probably overstated just how few guys will go for it um, because I think now they're going to be trying to hit driver down to the corner and then they'll have a slightly longer approach, which will be slightly tougher to control. So I just think you're going to see more variance. Some of these guys can draw their three wood and that's partly why they've been hitting three wood the last few years. This year, they're going to be trying to hit driver again with a little draw, probably to try to get around the corner. Some of the longer guys, but a lot of them just are used to hitting power fades with these things. So it's an advantage for someone like Rory who hits a draw someone like Bryson who just hits it so high Mm -hmm. um, that it doesn't really matter which way it's going. Um, I love the idea of guys having to hit two really good shots to get there instead of what it's been the last couple years, which is, I mean, depending on the, on the weather conditions, et cetera, it's still been a great achievement to get there, but it hasn't been, I don't know, it hasn't been all that notable, all that impressive. I'm excited for this version. I think we're going to see more heroic shots. And, uh, you know, Eagle is going to be more of an accomplishment than it's been yeah. the last few years. Keep your eyes out for... Guys are still going to get there, man. <laughs> it's going to be warm. It's going to be 80 degrees. Yeah. There's no problem. Keep your eyes out for more uh, second shots that get a little squirrely and, and bring the 14th tee into play. Right, they're gonna be longer Ooh. shots, longer irons, harder clubs to hit, hanging lie. You catch it a little bit, maybe too clean or a little hosel adjacent, and then the fourteenth bailing way out. Right, you're saying? Yeah, right. They're they're trying to reach it. Um, that happened last year. I can't remember who it was, but like, basically like hit it onto the fourteenth tee. Sneaky great angle from there, honestly. Um, but nonetheless, that's a big deal. What is our uh, our fourth biggest storyline? Number four, Sean, is related to number five. It's the rollback, the the storyline that maybe you're already sick of, uh, but it's also one of the most important things when it comes to the big picture future of the game. We're talking about the USGA's suggestion that we're going to bifurcate, uh, that pros are going to play a different ball than everyday Joes, and or at least play under different rules. There will be questions about whether the Masters is going to support the USGA's proposal, whether the Masters will also require uh, competitors to follow those rules. Because if they don't, that will represent a really significant schism. So this is going to come down to what Fred Ridley says uh, in his chairman's press conference on Wednesday. Sean, what do you expect to come out of the rollback discussion I, at Augusta? Yeah, I expect Ridley to side with Augusta National, uh, or excuse me, with the USGA. If you, if you think, <laughs> I was going to say yes, that seems like a safe bet. If you think about it from his perspective, 
from the perspective of Augusta National, they have only had to spend money to to hang. You know, they've only had to spend money to make their golf course more difficult as the ball goes further and further, as the players get stronger and hit it further and further. Um, and, you know, this is actually maybe the perfect example of who needs to enter this debate, right? There have been so many tour pros in the past week who have been acting as though they understand the calculus behind budgets and what it costs to manage golf courses and granted like Augusta National's budget is kind of irrelevant they have so much money they make so much money off this tournament that they'll do whatever it takes they'll spend whatever it takes they'll spend it extravagantly but the whole idea is the 13th hole is longer this year because of the golf ball going a really long way the fifth hole is playing longer than ever because of that reason um the 11th hole plays tougher than ever because of these reasons uh but uh, they play different than ever, I guess, is, is the way. The 15th hole is longer. You can go on and on and on about the ways that they have to change the golf course and manipulate it so that par is relevant. So that 72 um, means a certain thing. And if you shoot 68, it means something like really, really good. We don't want to get to a point where 68, like Bryson DeChambeau inf- infamously said, is the par at Augusta National. 67, he said. <laughs> okay, 67 is the par because number yeah. three is a par three. Yeah. Uh, either way, the whole idea that um, the course can be thought of that way is not something Fred really wants. So I anticipate him saying, we're in favor of this. It's, it's important that something gets done to um, put some governors on the game. Um, and, yeah, kind of leave it at that. He has really been laying the groundwork for siding with the USGA. Um, and I think the USGA, in fairness, has been laying the groundwork for doing exactly what they just did. Uh, that doesn't mean I fully agree with it. I still think that bifurcation is silly. And I think that if they're going to roll the ball back, they should just do it for everybody. But Fred Ridley said in 2021, Basically, 8,000-yard golf courses are bad. That would be bad news for championship courses to have to match that length to stay relevant. So I'm with you. I would expect that Augusta is going to fall in line with the USGA, and that will be a big step in getting the pro golf world behind this rollback. Mm -hmm. Whether or not people like it, it is going to happen if all the majors say it's going to happen. Yeah, agreed. Um and that would be three out of four at that point, right? The USGA runs a major, the RNA runs a major, Augusta National runs a major, and the PGA Championship runs a major, and the PGA Championship probably has the rosiest relationship with the PGA Tour if you are um, analyzing all of those relationships. So anyway. Uh, that's a good question. That's, a, that's an intriguing question of its own. But <laughs> yeah. The third biggest storyline is Tiger Woods. Uh, I, I kind of like long for the world in which this wasn't the case um, because at this point, oh, in, well, you know, the, curmudgeonly. Well, just the whole idea is that when will we, when will we let tiger be, <laughs> when will we not think this is one of the five biggest storylines at a given master's tournament? Because that is in our future somewhere. Um, but you know, the guy looked pretty damn good at Riviera, truly the best he's looked since his accident. Um, we have very small sample size when it comes to that, but 
He has been grinding to get into form for this tournament. And we saw him return here last year. And I believe you were out following his first round. Um, it was really impressive what he did at Augusta mm -hmm. National. Um, just missing a lot of greens and getting up and down for a lot of really tricky pars. And just reminding everybody, I've still got these hands. I've still got the putter. And I've still got my mind, and that's going to be better than you, <laughs> uh, which is incredible to watch, actually, and almost maddening because he's, um, he's like Goodwill Hunting when he like lights the paper on fire, and he's like, "This is this so easy for me, like give me some hard problems." Um, but ultimately, his body kind of makes life hard, and so the the fight goes on. Um, I expect Tiger to make the cut which is not saying too much. It's the easiest major championship cut to make. Uh, it's top 50 in ties. There's uh, 89 players in the field, so it is more than half. Um, there are a bunch of old dudes in the field, so you're going to beat all of those guys, right? There's a bunch of live players in the field, a handful of which probably aren't playing good golf. You're probably going to beat some of those guys. There are amateurs in the field. You're going to beat some of them. So Tiger should make the cut. Um, do you think that that's fair? Yeah, I'm curious what the odds are going to be on that, of uh, Tiger making the cut or not. Like, is he a favorite to make the cut? Yeah. Probably a slight, slight favorite. Slight favorite, yeah. I mean, it was a tale of two, two golfers, I guess, at Riviera. Two days, he was excellent. You know, looked like a legitimate contender, good PJ Tour player. The other two days, he looked like a, a you know a guy whose body has been through a lot and is made partly of metal. Um, so yeah, I think you know people are almost forgetting how good he looked because now he's been in the news for some salacious lawsuits with his. Uh, now ex-girlfriend rather than you know monitoring his health it's like once again there is a new weird Tiger Woods story that's hard to make much sense of uh, and I don't expect we'll get much more clarity on that situation this week either but yeah I mean Tiger remains a central storyline because he's Tiger Woods he remains a central storyline because of something else that we will talk about later in this podcast um, but yeah I mean look he won this tournament four years ago <laughs> It's not yesterday. There's there's been a lot of stuff that he's gone through since then. Okay, so let's. How does he win it? But that's my question. How does he win it? How does because he win? I think. Yeah. Like you said earlier, it's going to be. It, it the forecast is looking like it's going to be warm, highs in the seventies, sometimes upper seventies, uh, which is good for him. That's huge. That's great for him. Uh, it's also good for everyone else in the field. Tiger swings plenty hard and hits the ball plenty hard. He hits it plenty far right now, um, but the way this course will be juiced up right with the temperature and like I, I just think it's going there's going to be some low scores made by good players and I don't see Tiger Woods winning at this point in his life um in a very like sprint towards 16 under or sprint towards 14 under I think the course needs to finish around six to nine under single digits under par for Tiger to win so um the driver has to be good He's got he's got the putter, I think. He's got the hands for chipping and, and, and pitching. But he just needs to give himself chances. He needs to give himself seven irons all over the place. 
He's the greatest seven iron swinger the world has ever seen. Give himself as many of those as possible that don't come from the rough, from the pine straw. Um, and that's a huge question mark. I really think that like that's impossible to predict. But if he gets into a bit of a zone with the driver, you could see him shoot 68 a couple times maybe. Yeah, I think hitting driver in play is huge. Um, I mean, that's been – he's been hitting it pretty far. He's been kind of middling in terms of accuracy. He's got to play a slightly more controlled game. I think he really has to keep the game relatively simple. Um, yeah. You know, in his peak, he was hitting it all over the yard, but it didn't really matter. Now it feels like everything that takes a toll on him is significant. Like every step counts – 5x or whatever Mm -hmm. and actually i mean been painting a fairly rosy picture up until now but it it does sound like there have definitely been whispers that his post genesis recovery has been harder than anticipated um whispers so i'm sure he's doing everything he can to kind of rally who's whispering in your ear i would never reveal my (laughs) tiger woods sources that was just kind of like the chatter i don't know oh yeah so now it's chatter it It was whispers and now it's chatter yeah, whispers and chatter. Like once you get enough whispers, it amounts to chatter. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I mean, it, what it looks like is him being absolutely dominant with his irons, and everything else is pretty good. And the winning score is eleven under par, and he gets there. Wow. All right. Simple as that. <clears throat> Let's move on now. What's story number two? Um, number two, Sean is. In some ways, three different stories. This is the modern-day Big Three. We just saw two of them play golf on Sunday in Austin, Texas. And the other one didn't actually play well at all in Austin. But John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, and Rory McIlroy each have their own intriguing storylines entering this week. I guess the most attention will clearly be on Rory because that's where he is in the game right now. Rory is the magnet for everything live versus the PGA Tour because he's taken up the PGA Tour mantle. Uh, he has now taken up the the pro rollback mantle as well. Like this guy just yeah. keeps kind of heaping things on Any his shoulders. Any other takes you want to get off your chest, Rory? Just yeah. take care he's of He's also playing some of the best golf that he's played going into a Masters in recent years. He has also never won a Masters and he's won mm, the other major right. championships. He has also not won a major since 2014, <laughs> which... I think you could call a lengthy drought at yeah. this point. Um, and, you know, he finished second last year to Scotty Scheffler. And now these three have separated themselves from the rest of the world, you know, by by a somewhat significant margin. Does it matter, uh, though? Patrick that's, that's the question. Does it? Do you even give a damn? Oh, yeah. I care. Um <laughs> Just, and then just to buzz through, Scotty Scheffler, you may have remembered, he is the defending champion at the Masters. He feels like he was also one like five-foot putt away from just winning the match play also because he almost won the semis. And then, you know, maybe he would have beaten Cameron Young in the finals. Won the players, like, back at world number one. Has a significant lead over Rory. Um, and then John Rahm, how quickly for, we forget how good he was. Just was. a couple weeks ago, but past tense. Yeah, yeah, I just mean like he wasn't good this last weekend. But let's not forget how recently. We Choose were one of them. The best player in the world. Choose one of them. 
that will finish the highest? Um, it's Rory, man. Oh my this is gosh, Rory's. it's it is. I the apologizing that you do for Tiger and Rory on this show. Hopefully, it's a trend that people recognize. Well, you know, it's generally it's like betting on the Patriots. You're, you're <laughs> right more than you're not. Except Rory, exactly. betting on Rory at majors has actually not been that experience. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you can't you can't go wrong. I I think Rory and Scotty are rightfully the the kind of co favorites right now. You know what? That makes a lot of sense. Give me. Give, I've been a perennial Scotty doubter. Yeah. And a perennial Rory believer, and I can't kick that. Give me Rom. Oh, I love that. Give me Rom because if you had to, like, in let's say like fast forward six months from now, which of those guys do you got? I think a lot of people would still just pick John Rom. I think they think he is more. Uh, I think a lot of people still hold him in their mind as the best overall golfer of the group. Um, Now, whether that's right or wrong is up to these guys to decide. But um, Rom's form recently has kind of taken the attention away from him. We saw him in terms of our overall attention. He grabbed our attention with that 7-under at Bay Hill. People people kind of freaked out. Damon Hack asked him, like, look, are you – are you starting to kind of forget about the rest of the field and focus on like doing Tiger Woods things and Jack Nicklaus things? And he was like, yeah, man. Um, and I think he kind of got reset a little bit. At least the rest of that tournament did not go very well. The players was digestive system. Sounds like probably a bit of a reset also, Sean. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, he got sick and then um, hasn't been great since, but I think he has only been getting better at Augusta national and will have less pressure on him. I think, you know, he might not even, who knows, he might not, uh, he might not do like a ton of media. Like he might just kind of like be completely yeah. ready for Thursday, whereas Scotty's going to have a big presser. Rory's going to have a massive presser. You know, we're going to really be asking certain questions of these guys and less questions of Rom. Less pressure. He goes out, shoots 66 on Thursday, and we're off to the races. Storyline. Number one, Dylan, is the ro- yeah. What is it's it? The, ro- What's it the Royal be? Rumble, the Live versus the PGA Tour Royal Rumble Battle Royale, fight to the death, uh, whatever you want to call it. I if it's a Royal Rumble, who are who is the royalty on each side? Obviously, Rory is you know the prince. Yeah, Phil the Tiger's maybe the king. Phil's the, Phil's the king. DJ is the prince. Bryson. Norman is the emperor. <laughs> Bryson is the jester. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's just leave that one at that. Uh, it is a. It's the the biggest story though, because all those live guys are going to be playing in Orlando on Sunday, and then they're going to get in their private jets and fly up to Augusta, and they will be playing their first practice rounds Monday morning and. It will be the first. You could just drive up, don't you think? It's a sneaky long drive. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think, what is it like five from Orlando to Augusta? Might yeah. it might be? Is it more than that? It's probably six or seven. Um, I've actually made that trip once. It absolutely sucks. The point is, um, 
This will be the first time we six hours four minutes yep. right now. First time we see them on a golf course with the PGA Tour players since the Open last year. Well, I guess we saw Cam Smith and some of those guys play in the FedEx Cup, but ever since then, it has been two separate tours and no intermixing, um, no commingling. Generally, only harsh terms back and forth. Recently, they've kind of. Uh, subsided a little bit of the, the the blunt exchanges of commentary, but um, who's gonna? Why do you think this one feels more significant, Sean? Why why is this more significant than last summer when we were all playing in the same major fields? Because I think the live the well, it, everyone's just more accepting of the truth now. I think there's there was always question marks about well, who you know are these guys going to play in the European tour events and, you know, could they win their way into the FedEx cup playoffs? You know, there, that's where the litigation started. Like what does the future really look like? Well, I think the future right now just looks like two tours running parallel and not really running into each other, except they're at these tournaments. And, uh, there's a lot of live guys in this field. <laughs> like a lot of guys have earned their way in through qualification. Augusta national had to make a special statement to, keep them uh you know keep their concerns at bay and be like no guys if you're qualified you're all good you're in so um and they've got a lot of masters champions live has got a bunch of masters guys that are in yeah their late 30s early 40s yeah and you know what from there you know what live does a lot of they thump their chest man they still do they did a lot of it last year and they still do this year they remind you the depth of their pro golf careers and so now they get a chance to actually shoot the scores play 72 holes and shoot the scores against pga tour players shooting their own scores um i cannot cannot wait for the tea times tuesday afternoon uh they're gonna release maybe even tuesday morning here's who's playing with whom and does that mean that bubba is playing with Rory, last year Brooks Kepka played with Rory. You know, what would it look like if they played together this year? Probably fine. But who does Phil play with? Who does Bryson play with? Do they play together? Does, does Augusta National make it a little bit easier and send Sergio and Poulter out in the same group? Um, I hope not. I want there to be a little bit of an edge with these guys. That makes our job really fun. That makes every single score really fun. That makes the blow-up holes even more fun. Like, it just raises the stakes on this whole thing. And um, I don't know how it gets calmed down. Like, Well, I think we're going to hear a lot of downplaying from the players. I think that, you know, none of these guys, it's not in their best interest to hype it up, make it even a bigger deal. So I think the week of, we're going to hear a bunch of downplaying, you know, these guys are all like lone wolves to begin with. Not all of them. Some of them travel in packs, but like they're used to kind of just doing their own thing, especially at a mat at the masters, especially at a major. So they are going to kind of wall themselves off and be cordial and friendly to each other as they normally are. I think it's, it's going to be more like it's going to be little tiny interactions, little weirdnesses, little petty things that they say to the media, or it's going to be, once guys get into contention and there's a clear line drawn between live guys and tour guys. How about what does Greg Norman do? Where's Greg Norman going to watch? 
What's Greg Norman going to say? What's he going to post on Instagram when Cam Smith is leading the major, that the Masters through 36 holes? What will be tweeted out by Live Golf? They're going to be saying, good luck to all our guys playing this week. Like th- that, That is part of the line that you're saying will be drawn. He won't be there, will he? Greg Norman will not be there. You can you can bet on it. He, yeah. he has in the past received um, special invites in the way a lot of major champions get invited um to right. the grounds you know he also was working i believe for serious serious xm for a number of years mm-hmm. um there was a documentary made about greg norman uh at augusta national um nice documentary to be honest I, they did a good job on. i that. do not anticipate him being there this year um okay though holy cow <laughs> talk about something that would get people <laughs> talking as if greg steps foot on the ground um anyways which live guys game are you most intrigued to watch? I mean, I know you've seen some of the live stuff, but like in terms of golfers that you'll be interested to see, like, all right, where are they at? Well, I'm convinced Bryson's not in a good spot. So yeah, I'm not as interested in that. Cause I don't expect really good things from him. If he contends, he could be the one person that changes everyone's, uh, direction of sight like if Bryson plays well we will all pivot our stare towards him rather than anybody else in the field um I'm I'm very curious about the staying power of Dustin Johnson DJ is a master's champion two-time major champion and for his entire life he has been able to win at a PGA Tour level his entire life he's never like struggled to have a winning season and that should imply that he will continue to win on the live tour. Um, he's 0 for 2 this year. Like, can he play that that good of golf into his 40s? Because we're not that far from DJ being in his 40s. So, I don't know. I'm intrigued. The guy that I wanted to pick, but I just realized this very second that he's not in the Masters. Maybe currently, well, I don't know about the best player, but one of... Peter Uline. Paul Casey. Oh. It feels like there should be some exemption category that would have him in this Masters field, but he's not a Masters champion. He, I think once he got healthy, he, when he left the PJ Tour, he was playing good golf. I mean, driving it well, approach game off the charts, but yeah, he's not in the field. Mm. Charles Howell is the other guy from Live that's playing really well, also very much not in the field. And uh, I guess that's the, the choice these guys made. But, yeah, Neiman will be interesting. Cam Smith, of course, has torn up Augusta the last couple of years. So it'll be interesting to see where he's at. Um, intrigue, Sean. You ready to draft? You ready to put these pens to paper? Yeah, why don't you explain the draft we're going to make? All right, we're going to take six golfers each, and at least three of those golfers have to be at 50-1 to 1 odds or longer longer there you go so we're using uh bet mgm odds if they want to sponsor our podcast you know that that would seem like a wise decision but for now free advertising um sean i'm feeling generous hell yeah you want to kick it off yes you don't have to go from you don't have to go from best favorite to longest long shot or whatever this is just you're just assembling the team of best bets yeah but if i if I choose someone, you don't get to choose them. Correct. So 
and you're not saying how likely you are. You're saying which, which is the best value, best value pick. Yeah. Not most likely straight up. Yep. Okay. I still, I still think this is the, um, the surest thing in golf. I know I said, give me Rom when we talked about the big three, but I, it, mm-hmm. it feels like in a, in a limited field and not a fantastic field, it feels like there's no way Scotty Scheffler doesn't shoot 12 under par or better. It just feels like he will do that. And so, yeah, he's seven to one or very, very, very um, short odds at this point. But I think it's still worth it if you like, if you're the kind of person who has a hundred dollar unit, just throw it on Scotty Scheffler because you will be relevant. That bet will be relevant until Sunday afternoon. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, the funny thing about golf and golf odds is like, even when a play looks square because, Oh, that guy's the favorite. He's got the shortest odds. It's still seven to one. Like think about a, basketball game where you are going to get a seven to one payout yeah that is going to be a much much worse basketball team playing a much better basketball team so yes yeah, scotty scheffler is currently listed as the favorite here plus 700 sean is still saying that's the best value on the board all right well um i just want yeah. i wanted him on my team i feel I feel like that's the kind of bet if you make six bets that can kind of cover you if the others don't hit, right? We're chasing value yeah. here, which doesn't necessarily always mean um, what's going to happen. Like we're chasing value at fifty to one odds or longer, and so well, yeah, those I aren't going to hit fifty to one. I really expect that it is unlikely yeah. to happen. So to I think it's always good to have a horse, right? There's a reason why. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're filling out your bracket, the one seats just you push them further and further because, like, yeah, those guys are gonna make it. Of course, um, this year, obviously, not the case. Who do you got uh, top of your board? This is not one I expected to have on the board, but give me Justin Rose at fifty to one. <laughs> I had Justin Rose as well. Oh, why wouldn't you? I mean, expect this it? is the reason he is very, well, very I- good at Augusta National. I've never, I've never been like, I've never thought of myself as being on Team Rosie or anything like that. But he's been just so good at Augusta. He's shown enough signs of life this year that, kind of encouraged by his form. Even though, look, missed the cut at the Genesis, missed the cut at Bay Hill. Um, you know, didn't play particularly well at the Valspar, but won at Pebble Beach, finished sixth at the Players. And mostly this is why Justin Rose didn't go join Liv is to come back, have a chance for redemption at Augusta. I don't know. 50 to one. He's in the, when you look at the group of players around him, I feel better about the fact that Justin Rose will be in the mix heading to Sunday. Yeah. People forget when, when Rosie and Sergio went, uh, they battled in 2017 at the masters. Um, I think people were very much expecting Rose to get that done. They kind of just had labeled Sergio as this guy who was a little too eccentric to be able to win in crunch time. And Rose's career before that week at Augusta also pointed towards him winning a green jacket. Um, he's lost a you know, slight form in the past couple of years, but he is damn good at that property. He plays very, very straight and even keeled golf. So it's a good one. That's why I had him on my board. No, but 
I guess I'll have to remove him. Um, <laughs> there is freaking good value at 200 to 1. With one, Ooh, one, I know where you're going here. <laughs> I'm going with Mackenzie Hughes. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, look, Knew it. friend of the program, but also just the guy played really good golf, uh, took down Max Homa on the weekend. Uh, there's not so much that you should look into match play, but 200 to 1. Again, if you're just looking at bets that will hang around, make, Max going to make the cut. And suddenly, if you just like wake up on Sunday and he's five shots back and he could win you 200x whatever you put into the pot, like that is insane value. It's way too low for a player, I think, of his ability who's won within the past year and is a top 50 player in the world. Um, look, I don't think he's going to put a green jacket on, but. <laughs> look that's the thing sometimes you want to you want to sprinkle some bets out there maybe you want to have maybe three of your bets are maybe in contention suddenly mac is the hedge that's one we can hold on to tightly um yeah so i feel good about that yeah you don't have to put much cheddar on there to make it worth your while um sean give me tony finau hell yeah he was also on my list could you stop please i yeah, it feels good to know we're kind of on the same page here. 25 to 1, Tony Finau. I mean, look, I like the idea that he's flying a little bit under the radar after not getting through pool play because he easily could have gotten through pool play. He ended up in a playoff. He actually seemed like he played pretty well. Um, and he's just set up to play well at Augusta. He has played well there. I mean, it's just it, when you when you think about Tony, you kind of think about him as just as likely to win as some of those guys that are in the 15 to 20 to one range. So I think you're just getting a little extra juice on him. I'm going to take that juice. Every tournament this year, top 25 for Tony. All made cuts, top all top 25s. Tony. Which, like, some people freak out. They're like, oh, you're not finishing in a top 10 enough. Yes, but he's not playing great golf, and he has raised his floor to a certain level. That is above the rest of the tour. So um, you, you try to just raise your floor and then have a great putting week. If that's what he has, he'll be in contention. <sighs> I feel really good about this one. Do you know where you're going? Yeah. You do. 50 to 1. Okay. I feel good about this one <clears throat> because it's a total wild card. You, you throw out a bet at 50 to 1, kind of think, look, they guess they could. And you know what? They could because they have before. They have won at the Masters before. <laughs> they won at the Masters in 2018. You sneaky guy! I knew this is. <laughs> I actually didn't know where this is where you were going until Patrick Reed, that, P. Reed. He is the king of devious situations, Dylan. He seems to play well when everyone is upset with him, and I could not think of a greater opportunity for people to maybe be annoyed by Patrick Reed than during the first Live versus PGA Tour Masters tournament. Um, he is for sure in the top four of people who might say something really freaking stupid on Tuesday of Masters Week and just draw a bunch of attention. He probably won't, but he's certainly the kind he of guy. He should. I mean, look, that's how he plays the best. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. What a fascinating, fun bet. I mean, this didn't even occur to me. I glazed straight over him. P. Reed, 50 to 1. I think... Uh, Almost beat Rory in Dubai, right? Yeah. I mean, I... 
it's that's what I guess we're getting to right now is a point where it's really hard to follow some of these these guys' uh, form, um, and we are we are recording this before the Orlando Live event. Um, but boy, if uh, if Patrick Reed plays like he normally plays when the questions are circling, <clears throat> fifty to one would be good odds. Sheesh, I love that. I absolutely <laughs> love that play. Um, next, Sean, give me Cameron Young. Yeah, hell yeah. In on that. I mean, look, I wish that I'd made this play a week ago. Probably could have gotten much better odds than his current 28 to 1 form, was probably closer in that 35 to 40 to 1 range. But man, the honeymoon period uh, with Paul Tesori, his new caddy. If it extends to the Masters, then that will be a very, very, very good thing because he got this guy in the bag and immediately played nine holes without making anything higher than a three so at the match play, which is insane. He played the best golf of anybody in the field in Austin, most likely, you know, until Sam Burns just bulldozed him in the final. He has the game to play well at Augusta just because of how well he drives the ball. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm generally not one to think that caddies would make a huge difference notable difference but Webb has had good history at Augusta he's had good history in big events he has talked about being energized by having Paul in the bag um well so you're I focused mean, on the you caddy can definitely see it in a big way 28 to 1 well I mean he's a fantastic player if he'd his his game and the way we would think about him would be a lot different if he'd played one or two shots better at a few different events sure um, do you but he just finishes second all the time instead so yeah, you, twenty-eight to one seems like good value. Do you have any raising doubt, rising doubt, um, that he has played the Masters only once before and he missed the cut? I mean, look, there's a lot of talk about how much experience matters at Augusta. Would I prefer <laughs> that he had? Yeah, he's got two competitive rounds eighth. there. Like, yeah, that's that's no, well, that's one more competitive round than you have there. It's it's one more argument in favor of his caddy. I mean, these guys are so good. The they have simplified the game to such an extent that uh yeah. Yeah. Well, it's worrisome. Or it's not worrisome. It's a strike against him, but this guy finishes in the top 3 like every other time he tees it up. What I really like about him is that he is he's a bit Dustin Johnson-esque in that Nothing really seems to get him too bothered and um, feels like he can wipe the slate clean just like snapping a finger. Um, last year at the Scottish Open, he was, I think he, I think he shot 13 under or thir- 13 over par at Renaissance Club. And then five days later, shot 64 at the old course and was the first round <laughs> leader. Um, it was like, wait. He can't play Lynx. Holy cow. Wait, maybe he can play Lynx golf. And so that would be my only thought on Cam Young is like you said, he is just too good that he can just maybe black out and be the best golfer on the planet that day. He had not been putting very well. And I'm curious if that's partly the reason he went and made a change. Um, yeah. So that's what, what it's going to require is a, a typical Cameron Young ball striking week paired with a good Cam Young putting week. All right. This one I feel really good about. Um, you felt good about all of yours yeah, so far. I know, of course. <laughs> and then like Thursday afternoon, you're like, none of my bets work. <laughs> um, 
this is a guy who has played really well this year and hasn't won. Who has probably played top 10 worthy golf this year, hasn't won, should have won at least once. Really kind of made us think he was going to win at the players, didn't. It's basically been a very exciting roller coaster that has had these kind of very brief dips that have kept him from winning. But at 20 to 1, Colin Morikawa has my attention. Mm. He has my attention because he has he's been forthright and he's said uh, he's talked about just dialing in his ball flight and we saw it at Sawgrass. Um, I think he shot 65 on day one maybe um, and just makes golf look easy. And at some point, Augusta National, of course, is a putting competition like but that's but that's like a little too reductive to me like you can nullify this putting competition if you have a day where you just hit it to 15 feet everywhere and he's got a lot of experience he's only gotten better at this course he finished fifth last year and people are really obsessed with rory's finish and scotty kind of running away with it and cam smith being the one pursuing him but the person in rory's group was colin morikawa um, people forget that he holed out from that bunker right before Rory did, um, or maybe after Rory did. I can't remember the order, but either way, um, yeah, Morikawa has only had good finish. Well, he's, he's missed a couple cuts, but some of his best tournaments this year have all been top tens, some top fives. So he, like when I look at the board and I see speed, that's 16 to one cam Smith, that's 16 to one, like Morikawa just feels so much better at 21 than than either of those guys yeah i would agree with you i like the play i'm going to counter with a guy at 50 to 1 who's going to uh look nice on my betting slip next to justin rose is tyrell hatton interesting he doesn't like that golf course i've heard a couple red flags here one doesn't play well at augusta (laughs) two doesn't like augusta (laughs) Um, God, that would be sweet so, irony if you would actually win. Yeah, so that that is the clear strike against him. The uh, third strike against him would be he looked sort of injured mm. in Austin. Why are you choosing this guy? So, well, in three of his last five starts, all of which were elevated events, designated events, he's finished second, fourth, and sixth. Mm. He seems to be in some of the best form of anyone on the planet. Uh, 50 to one just seems like a bargain for Tyrrell Hatton, whether he can actually, I don't know, lock it up and, and stay in the mix. We'll see, but he on paper, it looks good. I mean, this is like just a trust the trust what your numbers are telling you sort of thing. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Notably, Dylan, I think you and I are going to stay away from Tiger Woods, right? He's 40 to 1. Not really interested in that. It just seems seems comically low, those odds. Um, but you would not surprise me. As we've covered on this podcast, I am a Tiger Woods believer up there with anyone. But to say that Tiger has, you know, I don't know, like Tiger's more likely to win this thing than Neiman. Yeah. Well, we've given a lot of uh, picks out and – Rather than, um, I think I've got one more that I can give. Um, 
Because you stole. You need two more. I know you, well, you stole some of mine. Um, I'd rather I'd rather at this point throw out some names that are not going to win. Right. If wow. you're a betting man, like stay the hell away from these people. Hideki, thirty-three to one. Don't do it. Don't do it. He's not playing great yeah. golf. Looks like his back He's is hurt. bothering him. Don't do it. Matt Fitzpatrick, thirty-three to one. I don't. I don't see it. Like maybe if the Masters was played last July, yes, but it's played in April, and I don't love the idea of it. Um, Tiger, forty to one. Like I said, stay away there. Um, this is an interesting way of you filibustering your fifth pick. Bryson, fifty to one. Please, Lord, stay away. Um, my fifth pick is Bubba Watson, one hundred <laughs> to one. Wow. There will be Sheesh. you could count on one hand the number of players in the field who have better success at this golf course than him. That should be worth something, right? He's still very, very long. At some point, the Bubba Masters magic works. Um, again, like you're just talking value, Dylan. Hundred to one, hundred to one on a two-time Masters champion who is not fifty. That's nice. This is the first one of your picks that I'm just like, eh. This is what happens when you steal my other picks. You can have them. <laughs> well, you know, this next pick won't surprise you. But, I mean, you're telling me I can get Keegan Bradley at 100 to 1. <laughs> yeah. 100 to 1. What are you going to do? Same price as Bubba Watson. What are you going to do when he accidentally puts off the green into the, the moat in front of 15? I mean, after one day at the players, I was pretty much ready to crown him the champion after he came on the drop zone and then opened with like three under and then he <laughs> shot 78 and missed the cut. So <laughs> I'm hoping he has a little more longevity in the Masters, but yeah, or at the Masters. But yeah, he's been a little bit up and down, uh, but the up has been impressive enough that I'm feeling good about Keegan. The runner-up at this year's Farmer ins- Farmers Insurance Open, 10th at Bay Hill. 100 to 1. Come on. Finally won a match in Austin. First time in like a decade. <laughs> he hadn't won in 16 consecutive matches. Who, who would you, if you had to choose uh, between Tiger, Keegan, and Rory winning this major, who would you choose? Uh, option D, Xander. <laughs> because I need validation. Tiger, the first time I picked him, he actually won. He was kind enough to actually win the Masters when I said he would. Xander have picked to win about 14 different majors. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Uh, there's just not that many. Last pick, Sean. Yeah. Like, You've run fully out of energy. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry about that. You Dartboard throw. Yeah. Like, What's crazy is that like Jason Day's 25 to 1, that feels very fair odds. So I don't really think you get a ton of value with J Day there. He's playing good golf. He's such a trendy. He's the yeah, trendiest trendy. pick right too, now. Too trendy. Um I I will not choose Tommy Fleetwood because that's that's too on the nose for me. Too close to mm-hmm. the too close to the heart there. You cannot choose Corey Connors. That's too close to your heart. Can't putt. Yeah, I thought it, but don't don't think I didn't think about it though. <laughs> um, I got a feeling you might choose Abe Answer, guy who's played pretty well at this course. 
He's 80 to 1. I don't want it. Um, give me. You're going to end up at Fred Couples here eventually. Yeah, well, maybe I should. Give me Adam Scott, 66 to 1. It's still nuts that this guy, how well he plays his irons and has these streaky putting days that make him look like he's unbeatable. 66 is mm-hmm. still incredible odds. Like, there are so many. Like, Ricky Fowler is listed at 66 to 1. Ricky's not in the field. So, like, <laughs> Adam Scott, that those are those are really long odds for a Masters champion, a guy who's still very, very good. Um, yeah, if you're looking to sprinkle $5 out there and earn a bunch of money in return, that's an option. Um, it's funny. You, you hate everything on the board. I love everything on the board. I've got two that I'm wiggling between. I think I'm going to, in my um, golf.com pool, I'm going to take Xander to win. So I'm just going to leave him off here, but I'm going to tell you that that's, that remains a lean for me. <laughs> um, but here I'm going to stick with the long play. Oh, I think I know it's coming. Take Seamus. I Powell. knew it. I knew it. Could you, could you pull your heart away from it for just one second? Um, I think that, look, am I, uh, susceptible to thinking that whoever I've spoken to last is going to play well? Yes, I sure am. And I just interviewed Seamus on St. Patrick's day, but (laughs) in research for that story, it was like a reminder of how well this dude has played. And, uh, he absolutely loves the majors. He had never played in a major until last year, played quite well in them. Um, so to see him all the way down there, the guy who's in the top six in the FedEx cup, <sighs> see him down there at 125 to one. I mean, Sean, there was a point where he had finished in the top 25 in eight consecutive starts, um, before his last three. So he's in a little bit of a dry <laughs> spell, which has given us all this value to collect on at 125 to one. Uh, yeah, you can have him. Um, no, I appreciate notable that. people we left off of our big boards: Shane Lowry, forty to one; Spieth, Rory, Spieth, Rory, Rom, Brooks Kepka, forty to one, left off the big board. Tom Kim, um, I guess he played the Masters last year, but he doesn't have like this Masters-oriented game that gets me excited. Um, Not a big baller. Yeah, Joaquin. Interesting at 50 to one for sure. I mean, when you talk about guys whose games you're interested in seeing, he's, he's right up there. JT 20 to one. I mean, obviously not in his best form, but yeah. see, that's, that's a good example of what I don't give into the heart. I don't bet on the people that I most recently talked to. I did not bet on Smiley Kaufman to win the masters. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think these are good. I think we gave some people some good Max ideas. Homa, 25 to 1. That's another intriguing... Um, prove, prove it to me, Max. Totally. I think that... The, I mean, that's the only way to think about it. And you'll... It makes perfect sense that he would play well at Augusta National. He's just got to do it. Yeah. All right. Well... I enjoyed that. Good. Hopefully people... Uh, I hope you guys did too. Benefit from that monetarily, financially. Sean, I'm off to the I'm off to the home country of our 2009 Masters champion. Yeah, I don't think he'll be there. Well, he's there somewhere. I don't think he'll be at the Masters. Yeah, he's um, in jail going somewhere. to the wedding of my friend Tomas in rural Argentina, and then, God willing, I will 
find my way from Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires. God, I've got some work to the do. The home of Emiliano Grigio. Grigio. Anyway, I'll end up in Atlanta and then Augusta at some point, and uh, I will see you there. I'll see all of you guys there through our through our microphones. That's probably a great way to end this podcast. Good night and God Love bless. You guys. <laughs> Happy Masters Week.